Hi everyone, my name is Alex Merton-McCann and welcome to the Grown Up Girls Report podcast. Now, this is a podcast for women who are in the thick of life, managing kids and family and work and parents and COVID and homeschooling and lockdown and all of the above. So this podcast is all about trying to make your life just a little bit easier. Now, one of the things that I'm a big fan of is a little bit of self-care, but I'm not very good at it. So that's where the idea for our book club came about because when you're reading a book, you're sitting and you're relaxing and you're actually doing something for yourself. So win, 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 I say. It's an absolute no-brainer. So book club has been going for, gosh, nearly 18 months um, and we have read some incredible books and It is book club week again this week, and I have another fantastic book to share with you. Now, this is a memoir, and it's written by Auntie Diane O'Brien, and it's called Daughter of the River Country. It is an incredible book. It gripped me right till the end. It is horrifying, and I'm going to use the word traumatic. Auntie Di has endured so much hardship in her life, but somehow It was actually very uplifting and inspiring because this book is all about love and forgiveness and digging deep and staying the course, all the things that are so relevant to any time, but somehow they feel even more relevant to what's going on in our world right now. So get yourself a cup of tea because this is such a great book that I'm so thrilled to share with you. But you know what? It was also such a fabulous chat. We could have chatted for hours. Um, She was such a delight. So without further ado, here is my chat with the wonderful Auntie Di. Welcome, Auntie Diana O'Brien, to the Grown Up Girls Report. It is such an honor to have you on our podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Now, some of you may have actually heard of Auntie Di because in 2017, she was awarded the New South Wales Grandparent of the Year Award when you were just very young and fresh at 71. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very young and fresh. Now, you won this award, Auntie Di, because of your selfless determination to improve the lives of countless children because you've fought your whole life to improve the standard of living and educational opportunities for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. So, look, well done. What an achievement. Yes, it was an achievement. I was so proud and honoured. Yeah. And tell me, well, at that time, or you may need to update me now, how many grandchildren and great-grandchildren do you have? Um, I've got 35 grandchildren. I had six grand, uh, six children. Uh, from that, I got 35 grandchildren. And from that 35, I got 60 great. Oh, my gosh. That is incredible. <laughs> what a legacy. What a legacy. Yes. What a legacy. <laughs> but I think in order for us to understand where this passion to making a difference came from, I think we need to start right back at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. in Granville, in Sydney, and this is when Elvis and Johnny O'Keefe were yes. wild and <laughs> it yes. was happening. And you were, an Elvis, you were an Elvis fan, weren't you? Of course, I still am. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. But Elvis and Johnny O'Keefe were big time and your beautiful Irish-born mum, Val, was your entire world. Yes, she was my life. Mm. Tell me about that time. Um, yeah, well, she was um, a really nice lady. She was strict. Um, I can tell you a funny thing. I, I think it's in the book. When I went to see the Johnny O'Keefe show for the first time, I sneaked out and uh, went to the 
um, Channel 2. And when I got home, mum went mad at me and grounded me and um, I wondered how she knew. And then, like, four years ago, I was watching the Johnny O'Keefe show on that YouTube and then I seen myself dancing right in front of the camera. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> after oh, all these years, and, it, and I was 74 then, I said, wow, 74 sitting here watching myself at 13 years old on the Johnny O'Keefe show, 6 o'clock rock. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. And and then your mum, she taught you how to sew and to cook and to clean oh. and she, she was your everything. She protected yes. you and yes. made you feel so loved. Yes, life was um, sunshine and roses, but, um, yes, after she died all the terrible things happened and I realised what a cruel world we were living in. Because your dad, initially you were completely enamoured with your dad, but then then things changed a little bit and it became very apparent that he wasn't as nurturing or as safe as your mum. Can you tell me a little bit about him? Well, I always thought... I was loved by both parents and I always thought Dad was, you know, a real strong stand-up person. And then one night I had a nightmare and I went in to get into bed with them and I I was only about six or five, five or six, and um, Dad put me in the middle and then he put my hand on his private. So oh. I was scared from then on and... I told mum, but mum said, oh, I might have been an accident or whatever. So I never got back into bed with them. And I'd always been windy of him after that. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think mum had a funny idea about him, but she she wouldn't say nothing, you know. Yeah, I know. I know. So hard and so tricky. Yeah. So tricky. And I and I know you talk about in the book about how your mum um took you aside one day and said that she, you and her were going to go on a special trip to parks yes. and she was saving money and I think she was taking an ironing and she was doing everything she could to get yes. a little pot together yes. to pay for this special trip and she was going to tell you a secret. Yes, she was going to tell me. She always said she was going to tell me a secret when I turned 15. And then when she got sick, I was thinking, well, why doesn't she tell me now? So it mustn't be very important because... And she wouldn't have been able to make the trip because she was bedridden. So um, so when she died, I never, ever found out the secret until I got put in Parramatta Girls' Home. Yeah. And then Dad tried to disown me in the court and the, and the judge said, you can't disown an adopted child. So um, then I realised that Dad wasn't my dad. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But you talk about in the book, even even before it gets to that stage, I think um the Mickey Mouse Club was really big time back in the back yes. in the fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My yes. parents talk about it a lot still. And um and there was one member, one mouseketeer called Annette Funicello. And as soon yes. as she appeared on the screen, you were watching this particular episode with some, I think maybe was it Ronnie, yes. your brother and friends, yeah, yeah. Friends. And they go, Oh my god, that looks like you. Yes. <laughs> And I didn't get it. I thought I was Italian or Maltese, but I still didn't get it. And the kids used to say it all the time when it came on. And I got a little bit cranky sometimes. And I said, oh, I'm not dark, you know. So it didn't uh, register to me at all. Yeah. I just thought maybe, well, I used to say I was Heinz variety. We didn't know what I was. I thought I was, <laughs> but dad was a black Irishman, so and Dad looked like my dad, you know, like me. I looked yeah. like him. 
So I thought that um, he might have been my dad and mum might have been my nan. Right. <laughs> Cause mum, yeah, because mum was um, older than she was, like she passed at 54. Yep. And, um, but she worked really hard all her life and she had a worn-out heart. So um, they couldn't operate on her. She could have died in the operation. Yeah. Um, so I could never understand why she looked older than Dad. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, look, that makes sense. But then after the death of your beautiful mum, which was so tragic, honestly, mm. so tragic, um, things got really out of hand with your dad. Yes. So he, he yes. becomes really violent and and so toxic. And I honestly, as I was reading the pages of your of your wonderful memoir, Auntie Di, I was just devastated by the way your father just completely just took advantage of you. And not only your father, but Colin, this, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe Colin, <laughs> this incredibly violent man who your father left to babysit you while he went on a jaunt with the new girlfriend. I mean, it's yes. so bad. <laughs> it's just terrible. I know, I know. And, um, and I said to Dad I didn't want to be in the house there because he was older than me. And, um, but Dad had him down in the caravan park, you know, in the caravan down the back. And um, and I used to go up to Mrs. Morrison's house of a night, but the night that the rape happened, he it was raining, and I went to uh, get a cab, and that's when I heard the gate click, yeah. and of course I pulled him into the house, which then was a bad mistake. Yeah. But um, he was out in the veranda, and he was soaking wet, and he passed out. So I pulled him into the hall. Yep. And, um, yeah, so that's when it all happened. Oh, but it was mm. so brutal and just, I, look, I'm so sorry that you had to endure that. It's just just horrendous, you know. How old were you, 15? 15 at the time? Yeah, 14, 15. Yes, yes. Oh I just turned 15 actually oh. at my 15th birthday and um, and Dad took someone out that night too and left me on my own with my friends. Oh, <laughs> So we're talking about so, a girl that's in year nine now, nowadays in terms yes, of the timetable. Yeah. It's just mm. crazy. But but when the authorities learn about the fact that your dad's basically abandoned you and, and left you and you're not being well looked after, they send you to Parramatta Girls Home. Now, this was the place that your mother <laughs> used to always threaten you. If you're so naughty, die, you'll end up in Parramatta Girls Home. Yeah. And there you were. Yes, and now I knew what she meant. <laughs> you know, I, I really um, it opened my world to a different world of all this innocence and you know trusting people. And I really think all the people I trusted. When I read my book, I think, wow, you know, just reading it, just thinks how many people I trusted that betrayed me, and I didn't have. Um, mum's family anymore because once I got put in the home I just lost yeah. contact and most of her family in the book you can see were bookkeepers and stuff and yes um I couldn't go to their homes because of the police raid and homes and yeah so you had no one yes I so I had no one I had my boyfriend's mum Keith Morris's um mum I had her yes and then she um she kept coming to see me but then um, Keith wanted to say that um, the baby belonged to him so that we could be together and he broke out of the boys' home. But if he said that, he would have went for karma knowledge 
So they would have kept him in the boys' home. So Mrs. Morris, you know, said we better not say that because it, no, absolutely, you know, yeah. Absolutely. So as you say, when you turned up to Parramatta Girls Home, well, initially you didn't know, but it was only when they were doing routine physicals they discovered you were pregnant. Yes, yes. And this is Colin, the rapist's baby. Yes, yes. I mean, just your worst nightmare. Yeah. But it probably meant that your time at, at, at that horrendous place was probably slightly better than some of the other poor girls that you spent time with who were just so appallingly treated. Yes, yes. And um, I, but you know the the so-called um, people that are supposed to be looking after us in the home, they didn't. And um, and then while I was writing my um, journal, one of the ladies from Parramatta Girls Home, who used to be a cook, and she said, um, oh, there was never any male officers there. And I said, well, if there wasn't any male officers, where did the men come from? Yeah, totally. Because I seen men ripping out girls from their bed and that, so what were they? Yeah. You know, they weren't women. No. So where did they come from? <laughs> So anyway, I said to her, if you want to write something positive about Parramatta Girls Home, you are welcome to send me your letter with the paras, you know, with the paragraph that you want put in the book, and I'll do it. But I won't. This is my book, my life, and what happened to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because you talk about it, you know, quite quite specifically in the book that you know there were girls, your know, flatmates, your girls, your your cohort who were repeatedly raped know, assaulted with broomsticks and bleach. And then you also talk about this one scene where there was this one girl that was thrown into a garbage bin and then yes. and then beaten with, you know, a series of, of, of male yeah, officers. Kick the tin. Yeah, yeah. They kicked the tin in the and we um and one of the girls told me that they put her in, you know, we had the dungeon, so mm. they put her in the dungeon and locked her up. I don't I'd been in the dungeons in a black hole that you couldn't see. Yeah. Outside, you know, it was like night time, you yep. couldn't see nothing. And I could hear the rats, but <laughs> you couldn't see where they were or what they were doing. So that was freaky on its own. And when Parramatta Girls Home, known now as Norma Parker, which closed, um, they took um, took us down to show the people that were there the dungeons and um, I put my granddaughter, who was 13, I said, you stand in that hole there and tell me if you can see me. And she got scared and I said, well, that's where I was locked up. Oh, mm. it's terrible. Yeah. Just absolutely terrible. Yeah. So in 2014, the Royal Commission basically started investigating Parramatta Girls Home. And I think that, was it Noel Greenway? Was he in charge at the time when you were there? Yeah. Yeah, Greenway. He was finally locked up at the age of 82. Yeah. <laughs> 82. I know, horrendous. And then you also talk about um, there was an ABC series that actually talked about the reunion that you had with some of your, your, your the girls that you met at the time called the Paragirls. Yeah, yeah, we had a reunion and they we were going to develop around all police stations a register book of Aboriginal kids that go into the homes and someone in that, that community would have been an elder that would be rung up and come down and put the kids' names in this book so they wouldn't slip through the cracks of the whole, you know, of the old yep. homes and stuff. But anyway, I went to three of them meetings, but the last meeting everyone wanted to put their own claims in. So I didn't. 
go along with that one. I said, oh, well, I'm not putting in a claim. I was putting it in for um, for the community so the kids wouldn't get lost. Yeah. Because I've always said when I had Deb and that, I always swore when I lost my mother I would have a big family yeah. so none of these kids would not have nowhere to go because when all that stuff was happening to me, I couldn't run away anywhere. And when I did, the guys would find me or the people would find me and then I'd be back with them people. So I always said we're going to have a big family so if anyone, I don't care what their problem is, they've got somewhere to come home to. Yeah, if it. none of the other family take them, I take them or somebody else takes them, but it's going to be a family thing. Yeah. So that's how it all happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just it's just absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible. And then what I just found so inspiring was obviously you were pregnant and then you went on to have, have your beautiful daughter, mm. Debbie, while you were mm-hmm. at Parramatta Girls' Home. And I think you went to Crown Street Hospital to actually Yeah, we her. went to Crown Street. I went. I got moved to um, my, my E which was um, the home for um, wayward girls or kids that were getting adopted out and stuff. Yep. And the matron there, see, Debbie to me was my mum come back in spirit. Yeah. So I never even give it a thought about the rape or anything. It was she was a human being and that was my mum. I lost my mum, now I've got my daughter. Yeah. Um, But matron said if I didn't marry Colin, I would have lost the baby. It, the baby would have went on to French's Forest until she was five and then I would be able to go and meet her then, you know, and I thought, well, that's not going to work. And then no. she said, um, and let's face it, where are you going to go? You've got nowhere to go. You you haven't got anywhere out there to take your child. So you'd be better off marrying him and you can get away from him and run away from him when you're 19 because you're not under the Welfare Act. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, talk about dancing with the devil. So you did it. Yeah. You had to. I had to, yeah. To no keep other Debbie. option. Yeah. And I even said, and I even went back to that matron <laughs> years down the oh, track. Yeah. And, yeah, she told me Mrs O'Brien paid her money to say that. And so they could come and get oh, the baby. Don't, yeah. Don't, don't. But, um, oh. yeah, it's just bad times, you know. The oh. law was different. The women were different. If you're a um, single mother, you would look down at, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then if you weren't, you know, let's let's say it, you know, a, a white Australian, well, God forbid, you know. Yes. You know, horrendous, <laughs> absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Now, what, what I loved it, and you alluded to it before is this passion you had for family, the passion you have for family. Now, I have four kids. I don't yeah. have six, Auntie Di, <laughs> but I am so impressed at this incredible tribe that you've created <laughs> and, and and I just love because to be honest it's sort of I suppose where I come from too I love the fact that there's always a place for somebody there's always someone you can ring yes. or call or someone's already always got your back and I yes. think for me that's the beauty of having a big family it's messy and crazy in my house yeah. is always a, a nightmare but <laughs> that doesn't matter yeah Ah, yeah, no, nah, the drama will come and go. Yeah. And my, my son, but I wanted 12 kids when I started and um, I had to stop at six, but um, my son had 12. Oh, wow. <laughs> so um, he he's making sure all these kids have got their own. So he's really 
live in the way that we grew up. You know, he's still in the old times, like the 60s and the 70s. He said, Mum, you taught us all this. So, you know, they had kids. Every year she was pregnant. Wow. <laughs> Exhausting. Same woman. Oh, One so woman. impressed. <laughs> so impressed, so impressed. So you have six beautiful children. Were you 34 by the time when you had Cindy, your last one? Uh, Early 30s, mid-30s? 70, uh, seven, she was born in 70. Okay. I can't do those maths that quick. No, me neither. <laughs> Don't worry. You were young. I remember thinking, yes. oh, my gosh, she's so young. She's so I young. know I had six kids. Um, I had six kids when I was 22. Wow. Okay. So, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Because, Absolutely. Yeah. But then tell me. The, one of the most significant parts of the story for me was when you discovered that you were, in fact, a Yorta Yorta woman. Now, I, I probably need to go back. As you, as you said before, when you went to Parramatta Girls' Home, one of the cops basically confirmed you were adopted. And um, and so there were lots of question marks and you were still really unsure, but you just didn't really know. But then there was this moment where you sort of really had it confirmed. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, the kids, we moved to Mount Drew and got a housing commission house and the um, the liaison officer come to the house and asked me would I collect the off-study money yep. for the kids for shoes and socks and that. And I said, oh, no, that's for Aboriginal kids. And he looked at me and he said, well, you're Aboriginal. And I said, no, I've never been proved I'm Aboriginal. It could be Heinz variety, as I used to always <laughs> say. I don't know. And he said, well, I'm telling you now, you are Aboriginal, your kids are Aboriginal. And he said, and if I can prove it, can you take this money? And I said, oh, well, go ahead and see if you can prove it. And then he within, he got in touch with um, Peter Reid and um, Kyle Edwards, who were the founders of Link Up, one of the founders of Aboriginal Link Up. And within that 12 months, they found out our family History, I'm William Cooper's great-granddaughter, a great man, a great activist, human rights. Royalty. Um, Royalty. I used to say to the kids, I think we come from good blood because of the way we are, you know. Yeah. (laughs) And then that proved it. So I got my proof. So I moved down to Cumbragunja to see, you know, where he was born and what he'd done and, and I was virtually doing all that stuff by then anyway. And I'm yeah. thinking, oh, well, his spirit would have been in me. And uh, the shepherd and mob said it's because of your DNA. It's in you. Mm. <laughs> Great people. Yeah. Well, if you yeah. look at your life, I mean, you've been a fighter your whole life, you know. You, it just yeah. made such sense, didn't it? That fighting yeah. spirit just comes through every single part of your life. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realise that until I was reading a book myself. And I was thinking, wow, is that yeah. me? <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Honestly, just a, such an inspiring journey. I just, I, honestly, there were some chapters where I had to just, I had to just stop myself and get a cup of tea. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted because how did you pull this off? Like you never, ever gave up. You just kept going, you know, incredible. And, and then as part of this journey to, you know, really find out who you are, the elephant of the room is, well, who's my birth mother? I need to know who my mum is. And yes. so that was a real journey to find your birth yes. mother. Yes. Tell me about that. Because I really, um, I wasn't really interested in finding my mother because I had a beautiful mother. Yeah, of course. Um, it was my father. I wanted to see what my real father would be like. 
Um, I found, well, Link Up found my mother within the year and a half and um, they said, she said, I knew she'd find me one day. Um, So she was married to a white man and she had um, five other kids and I always said I had five sisters somewhere. And um, anyhow, so we met in uh, Parramatta in Woolworths um, and had coffee in there. So my two daughters sneaked down and followed to see what she looked like. And they said I looked like her, but I couldn't see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, she was just like meeting a friend. Right. So we didn't, you know, like I sometimes she'd be knitting booties and little matinee jackets for her other children and great-grandchildren, and I used to take down bags of wool and say, Mum, can you, um, could you knit some of that, your great, great, great-grandchildren, some of that, that, you know, with this wool? And she never did. She used to knit it all up for the other side of the family. Yeah. And so I thought, no, nah, I'm sort of not being, she's not being fair. And my son said she was racist. And I said, why do you think she's racist? And then my uh, elders told me that it was because how she got treated when she lived on the mission because she was pale skin, right? you know, fair-skinned and the other ones were darker. So her brothers used to give her, you know, holy hell. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we sort of, I sort of drifted away a bit because I was starting to feel like Jackie Jackie, like I was doing things for her and cleaning her yard and home and all this and the other girls weren't helping her. And I thought, no, I just think I'm, my grandson topped it off. He said one day when we were cleaning her yard, he said, is that your mother in there, Nan? And I said, yeah, why? And he said, well, how come we're out here cleaning and digging in the garden? You should be in there sitting down. Yeah. What, you being Jackie Jackie and I'm out here helping you clean her yard? I don't think that's right, Mum, Nan. Mm. And um, so that made me think then. Yes. And I, I, so I slowly... Drifted away a bit, and when she passed, she um she had done a will and she put my name in it. But the younger sister went into the hospital with her husband, and they bought one of them packet wills, and they took my name off. Oh. So I've sort of never forgiven for that. Oh. And I thought, wow, I found my real blood, <laughs> and they're just as bad as the ones that I trusted when I was a kid. Oh, I'm so sorry uh, to hear that. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, oh, I didn't want anything anyway. But the thing was, what my solicitor said, you came from the same womb. Yeah, totally. So you should get what them other kids got. Yeah. You know. But I, was, I, I understood, and I could be wrong, that you did have some good relationships with some of the other sisters. No? Did that? Did, did they? Did- yeah, yeah. Barbara. Oh, Jenny. I found Jenny on her own. I'm not supposed to call say her name, but. Okay. Jenny, uh, that's the one I found, mm. and um, I, and I found her real father. So me and Jenny got on really good. Um, I went to a Bob Carr dinner, and opposite me was another lady sitting, and she said, "Oh, gee, you're the dead spit of my um, auntie." And I said, "What's your auntie's name?" And she said her name, and I said, "Oh, that's my sister." And then I realised I've let the cat out of the bag because Mum didn't want me to tell her. <laughs> And she went, oh, oh, I'm going to Renani as May up and find out what's going on. <laughs> so then they found out and that girl went home to her mother 
And she said that she meant me. And um, and Auntie Esme said it wasn't true. That girl must be drunk. Anyway, uh, the mother of this girl, who's my half-sister, she said, oh, it's probably Diane, your father's child. So she told her. <laughs> and I said, wow, well, my mother wouldn't tell anyone, but that lady was the one he married and she told him. So I found another half-brother and half-sister, but I did have a few uh, months with Kathy and she was the half-sister, but the, the boy doesn't want, you know, we never grew up together, so he doesn't really want to be I involved. Yeah. yeah, no, I understand, mm. I understand. But look, uh, what, what strikes me throughout this book, Auntie Di, is, as I was saying before, your relentless desire to look out for those who are doing it tough. Now, even when you had basically nothing in your purse, you would be making meals for people, you'd be taking in every other people's children, you know, you just wanted to do whatever you could to make someone's life better. Um, and, you know, and, and I and I honestly think that and this the horrendous journey you're on, and there's no other word to use apart from horrendous, mm-hmm. Was I suppose, as you say, was was the reason that you have this incredible passion and this desire to give back and and do something for you know for, for your fellow man. And I just I was so blown away and inspired by it. I really I really was. And I think it was my mum, you know Val. I think it was her because she she was never judgmental. She was always helping people. I seen her give a um, one of Dad's shirts away to some old drunk down the street, and I thought, "Wow, Dad'll go mad when he finds out your shirts missing." And she didn't care. Didn't care. God love her. Yeah. And um, and and I learnt my values from her. Yes. I learned heaps from her, and um, she taught me everything. You know, and when I used to say to her when I was going to marry Keith, when we're only 13 then, I said, oh, we're getting married and we'll come and live here. And she said, no, you won't be um, living here. You'll go and buy your own house. No, she she yeah. was an incredible woman, and obviously, you know, in in your adult adult mm. life, you've taken on so many incredible community roles in health and education and policy, and and you're still currently, I think, you have been for is it ten plus years the chairperson of the Mingaletta Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Service on the Central Coast. Yes, yep, two thousand and six. Wow, that's a beginnings. That's yeah. that's a beginnings, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and I suppose as as a reader, the biggest takeaway for me was the fact that you have endured some incredibly toxic situations which you wouldn't wish upon anyone. And, and and we haven't even, to be honest, gone into probably, you know, we've probably talked about a quarter of them. Let's be honest, there's just so many. Yeah, yeah. But in the last chapter you talk about how you don't harbour any bitterness at all. You don't harbour any bitterness. You, you know, you actually think you've had a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and I have to say that is incredibly inspiring because you you did it really tough, Aunty Die. Yeah. And I would just love to understand how you have got there in your head because there are so many people that can learn from you. Yeah, and I think, see, I believe in God and I believe in my spirits. So um, I think I always say somebody up there loves me. And then when I get a new challenge, I think, oh, what did I do wrong this time? And i got to go and fix this up. You know, there's always been dramas and hoops to jump over. And, and to tell you the truth, I sometimes wonder, how the hell did I do that? Or how yeah. did I fix that? Or what strategies? Um, so I think with our life going on and on and on, I think I'm making up the strategies as I'm going along. Well, how can we fix this? How can we do that? 
And um, and in my work line at Mindaletta, like helping people, I've always helped people. I've always helped the underdogs. I think that's why I was bad choice in men because I always thought I could change them. Yeah, fix them. I get <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, um, but it never worked. So um, I've never, I was 40, 40, I stopped having any relationship with men. <laughs> wow. so I'm always a bad picker, I think. I just feel sorry for people and and I wouldn't kick a dog when it's down. I mean, Colin's in an old pe- people's home and he's, you know, what goes around comes around. But I yep. would go and visit him once every two months and, you know, my blood run cold when I do it. But the thing is I feel a bit sorry for him because, you know, I always say it's karma. But mm. like you say, I wouldn't kick a dog when it's down. No, you wouldn't. Mm. No, you so wouldn't. So my kids go mad, you know, why even talking to him? <laughs> well, how would you like it being in an old home in a ward? It's not a private, you know, room. He's in there with five other different people and he lives on his own. He had his own unit. He's got his own belongings. Now he's got nothing and he's uh, and he's still violent. They have to give him needles to calm him down and stuff. But I wouldn't like that to happen to me, you know. So, yeah, I think oh, I wouldn't like that. You know, I wouldn't like to see any of my kids like that either. Well, they no. wouldn't be because they'd have family. <laughs> That's right, because there are multiple family yeah, members. Where is- he's got nobody. He's got no family left. His mum, dad, his siblings, they're all gone. Um. And, I, and it's been good with the book because some of them have been ringing me up and saying how great it was and um, they always didn't like their Uncle Colin but now they hate him. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, that's not nice. <laughs> you know, if you didn't like him before, just don't like him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, look, I can, I'd can. i agree with him. I don't like him very no, much at all no, after no, reading the book. No, no but, but I appreciate where you're coming from. I still have, I would still have empathy for him because, <laughs> there for the grace of God could be I, yeah, you know, yeah. I could be there by myself <laughs> in that ward with five other, yeah, you know, random yeah. people, you know, that's yeah, how I see too. Yeah. So talk about digging deep and forgiveness. <laughs> I don't think I've honestly ever read a story quite like it. So, so <laughs> thank you so much for this incredible book. It's called Daughter of the River Country and, and Di, yeah. Auntie Di, rather, anyone can buy it anywhere. All good bookshops should stock it. All the bookshops and you got Targets and Woolies. Oh, I love Target. Yep, Target came up, my two favourite shops. No, look, that is absolutely wonderful. And honestly, again, thank you for sharing your story. I can imagine it was very, very traumatic to do so, but I think it's got the ability to really help people, um, particularly at a time in the world, let's be honest, Auntie Di, yeah. where things are things are pretty crap at the moment. We know we've got obviously yes. COVID happening and so much yes. uncertainty and, you know, a lot of people aren't feeling so good. So this is a book about digging deep. It really is. And um, it could be a great lockdown read. Auntie Di, thank you so much for your time today and for your beautiful book. Lots of love. Thank you. Same to you. Keep safe. <laughs>